Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. The Bible says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from hope of the gospel that you heard, which was, has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God for his children today. You may be seated. Today, the title of the message is A King and a Kingdom of Reconciliation. And so we want to start with understanding where we left off last week. Pastor Dan presented us this beautiful hymn recorded by Paul that tells us of the greatness of who, of who Jesus Christ is. He is the firstborn of all creation, the foundation and the, the one through whom all things were created. It is by him, for him, and through him that all things are, including our very lives at this very moment. And so, in the knowledge and the truth of knowing that Christ is the superlative of all creation, the superlative of everything this world has to offer, we now come to Paul compelling us to know what our place is. The question I have for each one of us here today is this. Do you know who you truly are? There are many of us who would answer those questions in the following way. Well, my name is so-and-so. I come from this family with such a last name. And you will know that my family has done, and then we give them a number of things about who we are according to our family tree. Others may say, well, you know, we went to school together. We have plenty of Aggies in the room. We have plenty of Baylor Bears. We have Longhorns. We have a little bit of everything in this church. So that may be another way by which you say, this is who I am. But what, what if I were to tell you, dear one, that there's more to who you are than your family surname, what you own, or what college you attended where you got your BA, BS, or any subsequent degree. There's more to life than that. There's more to who you are. And to do that, I want to point our attention first to verse 21. You were alienated and hostile in mind. Now, the English translations do not do justice to what's going on here because it presents it in a past tense. You were. The original language has it as you are. It's something that's still ongoing, and it's something that continues on. And if you pay attention to this, this is the only verb. Now, however, that's not the verb in English. But here it says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That is the problem of where we are today. Now, here is how we can begin to understand the problem. This problem is not unilateral. It's not like a line that you draw on a board and you say, ah, well, this is problem A. If you would, you would need to take trigonometry to understand that every problem has multiple dimensions, has depth, width, it has height. 
It has a certain volume, and we need to understand how that works. The first understanding of the problem is this. It's not just my problem and your problem. It's a humanity problem. Every single person that has been born under the sun or under the moon, because some of us were born in the middle of darkness, has a problem. And it's not that they're lighter than you or darker than you. It's not that they're taller or shorter, that they have some talent and you don't have that talent. That problem is called sin. That's the ultimate problem that all, heavens create, all creation under heaven has. That's the problem that we all face. We can ref refer back to Genesis chapter 3 to understand that it is sin that creates all the subsequent problems that follow in humanity. Did God really say? That's what Satan tempted Eve with. Eve was very naive to say, yeah, that's what God said. And then Adam, not to excuse any of male present, pres males present here today, online or in person, was gullible enough to say, Okay, Eve, you're right. The problem is a, a humanity problem. There's no one who has a specific nugget of truth, some line to the light. There's nothing there in anyone among us who has something special about us in our humanity to fully say, ah, but I know better. You who, were, who once were alienated in, hostile, in, in a hostile mind doing evil deeds the problem is humanity the problem is also cultural it's not just the fact that everyone is a sinner but it's how our sinful nature individually creates a society a culture that is also hostile to the kingdom of heaven well what do you mean by that every expression of culture in the world has been tainted by our sinfulness as a race. I don't mean black or white. There's only one race. Don't let anyone else lie to you. It's the human race. Everything else is just an ethnic group or variations of how much God loved us. And some he made darker and some he made lighter. That's okay. It's one race, the human race. The problem is cultural. The way that you and I express our values, what we think is appropriate and right is affected by our own sinfulness as a human race. What does that look like? Very simple. We can turn any television network and we can assess what we call idols. Matter of fact, when I was in high school, I believe it was 2002, when the show American Idol came about, and that is where we started having competitions to see who would be the number one, the next biggest hit in rec recording history. Kelly Clarkson, uh, Carrie Underwood, you name it. Even in our colloquialisms, the way that we speak, we also give credence to the fact that there's a problem in the way we perceive the world because we are tainted by sin. The Bible expresses many times where the people were told by God, if you worship me, I will be your God, you will be my people. And the people do exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, Moses is receiving in Exodus 32 the tablets of the law, and God says, go back to your people. They have made a calf of gold. They're worshiping the calf. They're sacrificing to the calf. They're not my people. They're obstinate and stiff-necked. 
It's a humanity problem that then expresses the way in which we understand things. In that scene, well, we need to see God. We need to touch God. We need to be able to say, ah, there's our God who goes for us. And that's not the same as the living God, who is a spirit who works in the, in the people, through the people, and among the people. God in the Bible, time and time again, makes this very clear. I am not a God created by hands. I am not a God created by your imagination that I should need anything from you, but I'm the one who can give you everything. The problem is also a community problem. This thing that we call sin affects everything in the way that we carry out life together in more than just a family unit. I'll ask the question again. I asked it in the first how many of us, this last week, driving between here and San Antonio, being stuck on traffic on 35 or 410 or 1604, did not think an unholy thought about the driver who caught us off, about the driver who was brake-checking us every, every other minute or so? How many of us did not have a dirty thought? Or, And by the way, this is a confession time, not me saying good job. How many of us did not have a bad thought about a teacher? or a co-worker this week. That is a community problem. Because the way that we have been tainted by sin affects the way we also perceive the value, the worth, and the honorability of those around us. This problem is also very evident in Scripture. The book of Judges has this recipe. The people forgot who God was, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And when you and I do what is right in our own eyes, and we say, here's justice, here's truth, that's an evidence of our sinfulness. Because the truth does not start with someone outside of us, but it starts within the pride of our own hearts. Do you see the problem? Now, here's the kicker. Because this problem has multiple dimensions. This is the one where each one of us has to struggle with it. It's an intimate problem. Your problems cannot be solved by mommy and daddy, grandma or grandpa. They cannot be solved by your friends, the connections of people you know with clout and power, political or otherwise. It is a problem that in the heart, in the soul of every man and woman must be addressed. This is a problem that you must address personally. And Romans chapter 3 verifies this. There's no one righteous, not even one. You don't have the talent to know the truth. You don't have the inclination uh, physiologically, uh, intellectually, in any level to discern the truth of your own accord. Because if you are left to your own devices, and if I am left to my own devices, chances are I'm going to say, I'm right, and you're wrong. And vice versa. It's an intimate problem. And we have... Three responses that we can give to this problem. Understanding who Jesus is, that he is the preeminent of all creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We can respond to him knowing what he has done for us in three ways. If you are a note taker, in the words of George Strait, write this down. The first response we can have is discipleship. You surrender your life, you come to the end of your own life and you say, my life is not my own, but it belongs to the one who has given it to me more fully. You become a disciple. 
We see that in the response in Matthew 16, as Jesus comes and he simply asks the question, who do people say that I am and who do you, my disciples, say that I am? Peter is recorded to say, you are the Christ, the anointed one of God. But we very seldom pay attention to what Jesus says to Peter in in reply. Blessed are you because this was not of your own device, but God made it clear to you. God has revealed this to you. So you and I, the first response we can have to the problem of our own wickedness, because by the way, in case you weren't aware, from the youngest in the room to the oldest in the room, this is uh, sinners not so anonymous, also known as First Baptist Church. Everyone here is a sinner. There's only one difference. You either are bathed in the blood of Christ or you are yet to be bathed in in the blood of Christ. This is the call to you discipleship surrender your life and let god have full reign in it the second response is this this belief we have no need for god because we fool ourselves to turn a blind eye to the evidences of god again read romans creation testifies to the glory of god his creation testifies to who he is The sun keeps rising, the moon keeps going down, the seas do their thing and they bring about schools of fish and they never allow fish to die. You look to the mountains, the mountains do not cave, but they stand sturdy and strong because of the one who sustains them. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have plenty of evidence to say, this is not by accident. Which, by the way, even now with the Webb uh, telescope, they're, they're saying, you know, we really need to rethink the way we understand the creation of the universe. Because they are finding stars that we had not yet before seen that point to something. They shouldn't be there based on the fact that we think that nothing came out of nothing because of nothing. And now they're discovering that there are some ancient star systems far beyond what we were able to see before that say, wait a minute, they shouldn't be there. That's the power of God to create things and to sustain things, whether we see them or not. So you can disbelieve in God if you want to. But don't hear me saying, oh, the pastor said, no. That is a response. I'm not saying that's the right one. The next response is this. You can be indifferent. So what? Yeah, there's a God. I may even believe in God, but he is far off. There is no hurry to do anything that he commands us to do or to accomplish the charge that he has given to the church. There's no, why do you hurry? Yeah, he exists, but he's never coming back. Yeah, he exists, but it's only to give me what I want right now. If your response is anything other than discipleship, where you surrender your life, where you and I come to an understanding that he is who he says he is, and that we are who he says we are, then we cannot afford, eternally speaking, to be indifferent, and we can definitely not afford to be disbelief, in disbelief of God. Everything points to this. You need to make a decision, and you need to make the right one. And usually the right decision does not take us where we feel comfortable. See, in the first defense in the Bible, Stephen says something to this effect. The teachers of the law had all the access to everything. The teachings, the writings, the prophecies. They even saw Christ and they killed him. And Stephen says, you stiff-necked people. You had God in your midst and you killed him. 
That's indifference. When you have access to all of the data, all of the facts, and you still say, no, but the sky really is pink. It's not blue. That is a problem. The problem is out there. The problem is among us. But the most important thing, the problem is within us. But here's the solution to the problem. Now, usually we don't give you the solution to the end, but I'm going with the text because the text flows this way. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, if you're following the tongue twister here, Paul is referring to Jesus Christ, the one who reconciled you, and he is now presenting you to him who is far above the heavens, who created all things and exists outside of time and space, God the Father. That is the beauty of this Savior of ours. If you go back, you can just see the beauty of the praise song that Paul renders for us to sing about him. I mean, Colossians. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the price of that reconciliation. And in case you're taking notes, that's who you once were. But now Jesus is going to tell us who you are. Because here's the thing, loved ones, if you have given your life to Christ, and I don't mean in an emotional exertion of the will, but because you have seen through the reason of the Holy Spirit as the Scripture has spoken over your lives and as God has had His way with your soul and your mind, connecting both of them, then you will see this. I'm a wicked sinner. I have no recourse for my eternal life. But praise be to God for Jesus. Praise be to God for the incarnate God who took upon himself humanity without sin. Who took upon himself the pain and the woes of life that I, in trusting in him, might have life and that more fully. That means eternal life. I don't want you to hear me say, God wants you healthy and wealthy and all prosperous. God never promises that. He promises he'll take care of you. He promises he'll provide for your everyday need. He promises to always be with you. That's prosperity. It's not how many zeros follow the first number in your bank account, which, by the way, if you have a zero after that, any other zero makes no difference. It does not mean how many acres of land. It does not mean how many heads of cattle or what position you have in your company. What it means is that wherever you are in life, when you trust him, he becomes your all in all. He becomes the one thing by which you say, I am content to have a relationship with God the Father through His Son. And that is the beauty of who we are. Because where before we had a problem with all humanity, Jesus takes the reproach of humanity. That's the call of John 3.16. The Son did not come into the world to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. But He has come to deliver the world from the condemnation of their sin. That means... Outside of Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're headed down to hell to the deepest level of hell there is. Because that is the consequence of sin upon Adam and Eve and all of their children after them. By the way, that's you. That's me. But the beautiful thing here is that through his blood, we now have no more reproach. First John 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, testify to that. That He is making us perfect. We are not perfect in this life, but He is perfecting us. And we know that we are His because in our imperfection, we seek to obey Him. Not out of legalism, not out of fear, not out of anything else other than this. If He was willing to die for me, obedience is the least I can do for Him. Are you hearing that? If Jesus was willing to die for my sin and to take me when I was lost, as lost as I could be, then the least I can do, since I'm not dying anymore, is to follow wherever he leads. That's obedience. Jesus makes it clear. People will know you love me if you love one another and if you keep my commandments. That is the basic level for all Christians. It's not where you go to church, although we would encourage you to come here if you're local. It's not what denomination, because all denominations are dealing with their own problems. But it is this, find you a church where they teach you the Bible, where they don't just pet your ego and tell you how beautiful you are, how handsome you are, but where they challenge you with the truths of Scripture. And when we, where we are willing to wrestle to understand that He has taken the reproach of our shoulders. You see, where before the problem was also in a culture, we are now coming into a redeeming plan. It's a countercultural dynamic. Where we were once before dealing with the idea that everything we did, everything we touched was stepped in sin, we are now being brought into the firm footing that we have something greater than ourselves to point to. I wonder what that is. Thank you for asking. Your faith is not your own. It is the gift of God. And if your faith is not your own, then that faith is meant to be shared with others. By the way, we have plenty of opportunities for that. You have plenty of opportunities for that. Wherever you go, whether it's in your home, whether you go to HEV in Lytle, Walmart, whether you go in San Antonio to any of the stores, whether you go out to eat after this sermon, and I'll do my best to get you out of here on time, or whether you go anywhere, you are to be a light to the world because that world is in darkness. Brother Carlos, I don't know all the answers. You're not meant to. But you're meant to be a student of the book that has the answers. Brother Carlos, you don't get it. I, I, I'm an introvert. That's fine. Jesus can use anybody. He's using me. Hello? It's okay. If he can use me, believe me, he can use you. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the God we serve. We are called to go and share the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my, my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will go beyond. I said we have plenty of opportunities for you to see that at work. There's a food distribution every month. Every Wednesday we have a family meal before we go into, into those particular classes. You can come and be part of that. Get to know the family of God in this church. Plug in if you're, if you're a first-time visitor today. Come back Wednesday. Maybe not this Wednesday because it's probably going to be low attendance. But come on a Wednesday and see the beauty of the family of God working together. Talk to Miss Pepper and you can help in the kitchen. By the way, we have mission trips. Go to Kentucky. I'm not sending you to Pakistan. I'm not sending you to go out anywhere else. As a matter of fact, I'm not the one doing the sending. God is. 
If you have a faith because of what God has done through the cross, through the resurrection, then you have an obligation. I have an obligation to go and share it with whomever will hear me. I don't care if it's a rock. I have an obligation to share that faith. And where before that problem was very personal, we also have this key truth. Again, write this down. Where the problem is intimate and personal, we also are intimately loved. And that's the resolution of the problem. Why? Because God loved the world. He sent his son. And if he sent his son to redeem the world, that means that whatever I had before Christ is worthless, valueless. It's dirt compared to the riches that I have in heaven. Again, I am not telling you that you need to hear what I'm saying as though I were some of the goofy teachers of the Bible that say that you can cash out what you have in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. The richest of all riches that you have is a relationship with Christ Jesus. Because there's nothing better for us to have than to know God, to love Him supremely, and to enjoy Him all the rest of our days. Here's the thing. If we enjoy Him forever now as we are, we know that eternity is going to be a breeze and it will never be enough. Why? Because if we love God now, when then what you and I do here now is simply preparing us for what comes when Jesus returns or when we close our eyes on this side of heaven and we awake to the glory above. That's the riches, the riches of the Christian life. It's not sending a $1,000 seed. It is simply following God in obedience and being in fellowship with his church. That's what we are called to do. But I also understand this. Look at verse 22 and then verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. I'm telling you, the more you study the Bible in the original language, the more, the more you scratch your head sometimes. That is the birth for you to be stable and steadfast. Not anything else. You are firmly rooted in one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ. You are not rooted on your favorite teacher, your favorite denomination. You're not rooted on any form of government and certainly no political party. You are rooted in the person who died for you. You are rooted on the person who was resurrected for you. Because in glorifying himself through that, he is now also offering us to share in his glory. Right? That's why we profess every time we have a baptism. That if we die with him, we will also arise with him. That's the hope of every Christian who goes home to die or every Christian that dies unexpectedly or every Christian who is in a hospital awaiting for their end is that even as we face the most painful moments of life, the transition between here and then, we know that when we close our eyes for the last time, we will be with him. And we will open our eyes to the glory of God the Father without having to turn his back, but we will see him face to face. And by the way, if that does not give you goosebumps or makes you teary-eyed, I don't know what will. Because it's not anything else but to know that you know God and that you will see the face of Jesus welcoming you and hearing the faithful words, well done, good and faithful servant. See, here's the thing. Christianity is more than a philosophy. We don't simply 
aim to answer the question, why? That's what philosophy does, by the way. That's philosophy 101. You always want to answer the why. Christianity does more than that. It tells you the who, the why, and the how. It's more than a philosophy. Why? Because it's not all about the head knowledge. It's about both the head and the heart in concert pointing to someone better. You see, we are also founded on something more than religion. Now, please don't hear me wrong. Right now, you're showing your religion. Because you believe that in coming together with other families in the community, whether you're from town or out of town, you are saying this is a religious practice that points to something greater. But when religion becomes its own means to its own ends, then that's where you have lost the battle. That's the problem with the Jews. That's the problem with the Hindus. That's the problem with any other Eastern religion or any other Christian cult. They claim to be doing things for Christ, but if they do not end at Christ, at the cross, where people have a chance to have their lives transformed and radically just led to glory, then that is nothing than empty religion. And empty religion is one of the favorite things for Satan to play with. Because if he can fool any Christian to believe that by following these simple practices you're good, it's no better than coming here, checking a box, and living your life the way you want to, or in the words of the old song, living la vida loca outside of church. It's more than religion. Let me also tell you this. Christianity is more than morality. It's in vogue to say, well, I'm a Christian ethicist. And now you even have people who claim to be Christians and would say something like, well, you know, you can have an abortion. It's ethical if an X, Y, C. And there are many other examples. That, that one is just to get your attention. It's more than a moral code. Morality is neither good nor bad. It simply tells us what a, make, a person may make of life to make the best choices. Morality outside of the Christian faith leads to all sorts of misguided actions and ways of looking at the world. You want a few examples? Look at Mao in China. Look at Stalin in the former Soviet republics. Look at Hitler. Look at many other despots in our world today who think they're the end all for the morality in their country or for the region in the world. And they, you would see there how morality, for the sake of morality, can lead you astray to the point that you can say, you know what, it's okay to kill a few million people and we'll be okay. Meanwhile, Christianity says, no, every life is valuable, starting in the womb. Every life is valuable, and no one has a chance, nor should they have the option to end it of their own accord, unless God is the one who takes it naturally. By the way, that's becoming even more prevalent. But Christianity is about the true foundation. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, who, in his own person, lived the perfect life that we could not live, so that we may have the perfect eternal life that we did not deserve. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of the church. It's the beauty of following scripture. Because hear me well and hear me very clearly. It is not about Mary or the apostles. It's not about the church fathers, denominations. It's not even your favorite pastor. I love Alistair Begg. I love John MacArthur, the late R.C. Sproul. I love those men. But none of them died for me. And they, those men are faithful enough to the scriptures that I, they would tell me if I had the chance to meet them in person. Don't listen to me. Go to the book. 
Don't listen to me. Don't focus on me. Focus on Jesus Christ. So my dear church, I tell you this today. If you focus on Jesus Christ through the teaching of this book, we'll be okay. Because that is the kingdom to which we are called. And that is to what we are being challenged to carry out this calling. Because again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Your faith is not your own. And therefore you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. And this is where our sinfulness struggles with our sanctification. That's a big word simply saying. Where we are being made more like Christ. We struggle because we still want to be the old sinner. You and I struggle for relationships. Our hearts long to be understood by others around us. And the only one who can understand us clear as day, even in the middle of the darkest night, is Jesus Christ. If we come to him first and he is the cornerstone of any relationship, then our relationships have a good, sturdy, and lasting foundation. And those relationships will then begin to emulate or reflect the beauty of the first and most important relationship the person in the mirror and the lord jesus christ then we also come to understand this that our souls are striving for eternity ecclesiastes tells us of this that god has put eternity upon our hearts well if god has put eternity in our hearts why do you think that he is it's because as many lovely children as we have the love that we have for them is nothing when we compare it for the love that God has for us, for them, and for our grandkids, and any other people that we hold dear and near in our hearts. It means that the reason you are looking for something beyond yourself to pointing to eternity is because God designed you to have a relationship with Him. And so, the only way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus very aptly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father save through me. And in that leads us to the next solution is this, that we must contend for the truth. Our minds yearn for truth. And we live in a time in history where I can look anywhere in this particular place. I can throw a piece of paper, wad it up, and I'll ask you, what is truth? And you'll tell me a definition, then I'll throw it to someone else in the room, and they'll tell me another definition. Truth is relevant in the world, but according to the eternal word of God, there's only one truth. His name is Jesus. Remember, all things were created for him, through him, and by him. Therefore, he is the core of all truth. And so we know this, that if we find ourselves placing our flag upon the truth of Christ, who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, then we have nothing to worry about. And we will then enjoy what Paul writes in the last verse. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the, of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That means that in the truth that we receive, we are given purposeful work. We have bankers, teachers, owners of corporations, managers of businesses. We have people who are retired. We have people who have been in the service, are in the service. A plethora of great people with great work ethic in many industries. Use that as a platform to reach the world for Christ. 
how you treat your students, teacher. Treat them as though you're dealing with Christ. How you lead the music on a Sunday, how we preach and prepare to lead you throughout the week spiritually, is as though we are doing it for Christ himself. And if we do that, because of the love that God's shown us and the love that we give back to him, then we have this accomplished task. The world sees Jesus. And by the way, we also teach Jesus to the world. That is the whole concept of our faith. It is why Paul in these three verses ends with that, for which he became a minister. Now, I told you I would get you out in time, and I failed. So, we must stop being pew warmers. We must stop being backdoor critics. Every church is filled with them. We must stop being penny watchers. God provides. God's work done God's way will go with resources. It will never go without. We cannot, my dear ones, sit on the sidelines, tell the pastor how to do their work, and expect God to bless the work because it's not just the pastor that was called. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you are a born-again Christian, not through some experiential nonsense, but because you have been given to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, showing you how wretched you are and how God is better, and you surrender to that, you have a calling to go to the world and to share the good news. Right? Tell the good news, tell the good news to everyone. Tell the good news, tell the good news, tell the good news that Christ... And I forget the rest. So here's the point. Do not be one of those church people that simply says, I came, I gave, and I'm done. But be one of those church people who says, this is my, life, my life's contract, Father. It's blank. Let me sign. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.